Abraham Lincoln did not say, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. No matter who said it or whether the time was originally hours or minutes, it's still a great quote because it reminds us that we've got to work smarter or we will work harder. The work of the kingdom is what Jim has in mind today, and sharpening the axe is the time we spend in prayer. The sermon is called, The People of God Are Dependent. We're in Colossians chapter 4. We're focusing our attention on verses 2 through 4. And there are three aspects of our church life that are mentioned here. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those that are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What do our neighbors discover when they come to visit us? as a worshiping community. Well, there's some things that God wants them to see, some impressions God wants them to have. And if we are his people, his children, we should be concerned that those impressions are not blurred. And here in this passage, we have a description of our total dependence upon God. Father, I pray that our neighbors would sense that about us, that visitors who come would see that clearly in our behavior and our attitudes. May there be no arrogance, no pride, no self-assertiveness, May our focus not be upon our powers and personalities and gifts, but may the focus clearly be upon the one who enables, the one who gives, the one who hears and answers prayer. May we indeed be true representatives, representatives of the truth, that we are a dependent, People. Thank you for these reminders from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that today as we reflect briefly upon them, that you would stir our hearts to be more diligent in prayer, more alert, awake, on guard. For we live in a hostile and challenging environment. Help us to sense, again, our total dependence 
in all of the roses, we cannot do it. That all of our efforts are in vain unless the Spirit of God opens the door, melts the heart, and illumines the mind of our neighbor and friend. Speak deeply to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Continue earnestly in prayer, the apostle writes. It's obvious to him that the people there at Colossae were praying. It was also obvious to him that they needed to be admonished and encouraged to do so continually and earnestly. Thinking over the past 30-some years, we bought a two-acre piece of property years ago, and it was standing in natural Ohio woods at the time. We had to put it in a septic system, had to drill our own well, those kinds of things. And all of that's now history because we now have Delco water and we now are connected to the sewer that runs up through the backyard. Over the years, development has made our life a bit less complicated, less work. In the early days, being young and vivacious and having little children, I would often go out and work and pick up stones and carry them. And my family, out of very gracious concern, provided for me a Father's Day gift of a wheelbarrow. <laughs> it had a pneumatic tire on it, an air-inflated tire. I was, I was pretty slick. So, Instead of carrying the stuff, I'd put it in the wheelbarrow and carry it. But those of you who have used a one-wheeled wheelbarrow to do work can imagine how delighted I was just recently when my oldest son, who's in construction, got his dad a two-wheel wheelbarrow. Have you seen those? Hey, those are slick. You don't have this problem and takes the pressure off the hips and... Bless his heart, he's trying to make the old man last a little longer, I think, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a slick deal, really neat. Well, all this time, pretty much all this time, in the back of the lot, we have a, we have a trailer, but the tires weren't working. They were flat and old and rotten and all that, and and my dear wife got the idea here recently that uh, she would see that those tires were fixed. And in the meantime, I had moved from cutting the grass for the pair of scissors to a lawnmower. Eh, take that with a grain of salt. And then I had actually graduated to where uh, my father made it possible for me to have a, I think it's a 48-inch uh, lawnmower, a power jobber. I said, and see, see. As the years go along, I, I get smarter. I don't work hard, I work smarter because of all these gracious gifts that are given. And so taking my new John Deere tractor now and my new tired trailer, I can put stuff in that trailer and it's, it's just incredible how much easier that is than picking those stones up and carrying them. I've come a long way, maybe. And I'm grateful for all of those 
efficiencies that are mine because of technology. But you know, the best thing happened this past year. I was talking with my family about some things that I thought would be neat to have done at the house. And they came out and did it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the best work of all is when you sit on the front porch and nurse a glass of iced tea and watch them sweat and toil. That's, that's the best way to get the job done. No question about it. A lot of Christians are still back carrying rocks one at a time. They're bending their back, they're pulling muscles, they go to bed at night just exhausted. Some of us have learned about the one wheel wheelbarrow and we think that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, some of us have even learned that there are actually John Deere tractors that are designed to get the Lord's work done. And then some of us have actually learned that there is a provision God has made where he does the work. That provision is called prayer. Prayer. You see, when I work hard with the best talent and gift God can give me, I can accomplish one unit of work for the Lord. But when I'm on my knees praying, God is demonstrating what he can do. And God's gifts and resources are infinitely larger than mine. But we usually live our lives out of the attitude, why pray when you can worry? I mean, why pray when you can sweat? There's even an attitude in the subculture of evangelical Christianity that, that is embarrassed by the fact that you would pray at all. It goes something like this. I mean, if you have the talent, you've got the smarts, you've got the muscle, you've got the money, do it. And God will be very pleased that you did that for him. And in that atmosphere, prayer loses its place. And the Christian life becomes reduced to what I can do with my mind and muscle. And many times our best prayer is when we're asking God to make something work that we've already planned and initiated. We didn't consult God first, you know, we just figured it out for ourselves, and then launched into it and said, oh, God, bless this mess. God, make something happen here that's significant for you. Now, this morning, can't you see how very foolish that is? How very limiting that is. The other side of the picture is that all of us don't pray enough, and each of us know that. You ask Billy Graham, Billy, what's the one thing you would change if you could go back and live your life over again? What's he say? I'd have prayed more and preached less. Billy Graham. 
Well, what's Billy learned? Billy's learned that when he preaches, God may bless, but when he prays, God has to bless. That when he preaches, he engages the minds and hearts of other people. When he prays, he engages the heart and resources of God Almighty. And the potential of outcome in those two formulas is very heavily weighted in God's favor, don't you think? Prayer is usually something that we are want to do when all else fails. And then we cry out in God's, to God's grace and mercy and desperation for God to deliver us from this set of circumstances that we've created or generated by our lack of time with God in prayer. It's way beyond the scope of this particular verse to talk with you this morning about all the benefits of prayer. Hymn writers write hymns. Poets write poems. Philosophers have filled books with all the benefits of prayer. You can't read in your New Testament without constantly bumping into the clear testimony that the church was at its best when it was on its knees. And yet, we haven't learned that lesson. That has not translated over into our experience today. Let me, let me illustrate that. If I announce that uh, next Sunday I'm going to be preaching on a, a certain topic, uh, you will probably come. If I announce that next Sunday we're going to spend our total hour in prayer, if I remind you that every Wednesday night at 7 there's a prayer meeting, and there are a dozen, 15, 18, sometimes 20 of the folks who gather for that time of prayer, you probably will have other things to do Wednesday night. And I'm not implying that you don't pray. What I'm observing is that prayer has such a low place in our priority list. And yet as you look in your, in your Bible there at Colossians chapter 1, you find that this, this, this matter of prayer had such a high priority in Paul's ministry. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. Right up here at the get-go, the first thing he says to these Colossians as he, as he launches into this letter is, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That's the first thing Paul says to them. And, and look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be, and then he goes through a whole litany of things that Paul wanted God to do in their lives. I think that's what's behind the verse there in chapter 2 and verse 5. Look at that one. Chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. What does that mean? With you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, so forth. What's Paul saying there? 
Paul is saying that although he's locked up in jail over in Rome, because of the mystery and power of prayer, Paul was present in spirit where he couldn't be in the flesh over at Colossae. And Paul was having a ministry. Paul was seeing God do things in the lives of this group of people he couldn't visit physically. How? Through the power of prayer. That's an incredible insight. Look what he says in the closing verses about the founding pastor of the church there, Colossae. You find in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul notes that Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Laboring fervently. Those are two very energetic words meshed together to tell us that this, this man whom God had used to initially share the gospel with the folks there in Colossae, and that sharing had resulted in a group of people coming to know Jesus Christ, and that group of people is now the church receiving this letter from Paul. Paul is saying that Epaphras, your founding pastor, works hard, diligently, in the business of prayer for you. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he's telling Tim how to set up the matters of the church there in Ephesus, he says in chapter 2, now first of all, Timothy, number one, on your pastoral agenda, number one above everything else, I want you first of all to make sure those are right praying people. We've been going down through a list of qualifications of the people of God, and, and we've talked about how God's people ought to be distinctive and different from these verses in Colossae. I, I wonder if our neighbors would say of us, well, you are a praying people. You take prayer seriously. You continue earnestly in prayer. You know how to pray. You see, when you're a praying person, a praying people, there are no impossibilities. None. And the impact and effect of your life and our ministry together is not measured by how much we have in our billfolds or how much we have in our brains. It's not how muscular and energetic we are, neither is it how old we are or how young we are. Those capacities are all limited. They're all human, they're limited. But when you are continuing earnestly in prayer, you are visiting places like Papua New Guinea. And you are actually effecting the work of the gospel in Papua New Guinea while you're here on your knees in your bedroom in Columbus, Ohio. It is incredible. Someone has said, the scope of the power of the potential of prayer is as wide as the omniscience and omnipotence of God himself.
Well, our neighbors, if they're visiting the people of God, I mean, the authentic people of God who are behaving as authentic children of God should sense our dependence upon God. And that should be evident in the priority we give to prayer and the earnestness that we bring to the work of praying. And it is work. But, but we must hasten on. Notice in this passage, secondly, that even the Apostle Paul in his ministry was limited, limited to the measure of prayer. You see what he says there in chapter 4 again, verse 3? Meanwhile, he says, as, as you're praying, as you continue earnestly in prayer, be praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. What's all that mean? Let me cut to the quick this morning. Paul understood that you can quote John 3.16 and your listener will stand there and say, gee, that's nice, and not be moved an inch. Paul knew that you could take your, your neighbor through the Romans road and explain the whole mystery of God's justification and righteousness and the death of Christ and forgiveness and grace and all of those things. And your neighbor can sit there in the stupor of spiritual deadness and be absolutely unenlightened. Do you realize that? Jesus once said when he was explaining some things to his disciples, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Evangelism is not a matter of skill. It's not a matter of technique. It's a matter of a spiritual encounter between the living God and a dead, lost individual. In the next verse where he says, you walk in wisdom toward those who are without. And later he says, be sure you know how to give an answer to anyone that asks you. Paul is elevating the topic of our relationship with the people who do not know Jesus to a new level. He's saying, look, those folks are going to ask you questions and you're not going to have the answers. And the only way you're going to have the answer is if you spend time in prayer. The only way you're going to have boldness in witnessing is if you spend time in prayer. We've heard pray as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on you. On today's Right Start, Jim has put an asterisk on that axiom. If we really pray continuously and earnestly, as Paul enjoined in Colossians 4, our work will be much easier. Prayer should be one of the hallmarks of the people of God. On today's program, we heard part one of the sermon, The People of God Are Dependent. It's one of the installments in our series, The People of God. To get just this message on CD, please send a gift of $7 or more. For the CD album of 17 sermons, we ask for a contribution of $59 or more. These broadcasts, the podcasts, the online library of Jim's sermons, all are made possible by the gifts of generous listeners. So if you're led to pray or give, you have an opportunity to reach a lot of people with the message of grace. To join this family of doers of the word or to communicate with us for any reason, mail us at Right Start. P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 
1-800-273-2313. RightStartRadio.org is our home on the web. There we can connect you to our daily podcast on iTunes. It's the radio show right there in your pocket. Or with just a few mouse clicks, you can play or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim or play the radio programs if you like. Consider making a donation, please. Thank you. You'll find all that and more at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. All those who would like a better prayer life, please join us tomorrow for Tuesday's Right Start. Thank you.